0: Greetings, friends, and warm welcome back to Intersections. For those of you who are here for the first time, I am Hithandar Wadhwa, and in addition to my teaching at Columbia Business School and the running of Mentora Institute, I run Intersections, where our aspiration is to bring life together with leadership, for us to be able to blend all kinds of, you know, contrasting energies into one space where we can explore the highest in human potential, the inner and the outer the East and the West, science and spirituality, profit and purpose. And today I have with us a very special guest, someone who has blazed incredible tales at trails, someone who in some ways represents you know, the kind of aspirations and hungers that you and I and we all do from time to time want, which is a certain kind of heroic quest that defines not just um, a few recreational moments in our life, but that defines our life itself. And so, without further ado, let me take a moment to introduce to us the wonderment and the exemplary you know, record of the individual who is going to be with us today, Hillary Nelson. She is a National Geographic Adventurer of the Year and has been the captain of the North Face athlete team. are The first woman to summit two 8,000 meter peaks. Mount Everett and Lotse in one 24-hour push. Any one of these <laughs> would be an adventure notable enough to uh, you know, have us tell stories of all through our life. And here she is, not just having summited both these peaks, but having done so in one 24-hour push. She returned then to Lotse a second time to ski from the summit in fall 2018, skiing from up there on high. Can you imagine what that just must be like? She is the most prolific ski mountaineer of her generation and has um, received great accolade from a number of the notable press in the mountaineering and the outdoor sports world. Uh, Outside, for example, calls her one of the most adventurous women in the world of sports. Men's Journal has called her one of the most adventurous women of the last 25 years. She's appeared in several documentaries, which I encourage you to kind of scout around and look for. When we get her to the show, Hillary, we'd like to know from you uh, where we can find some of these so that people can continue their exploration of these ideas and experiences with you. She's an inspiring storyteller and speaker, and also very active in the environmentalist movement through her work with Protect Our Winters, um, a role model as well to other women adventurers. As you can imagine, she has been a pioneer in bringing more of the face of women into some of these sports. And yes, so on that note, let me um, warmly welcome into our midst, Hilary Nelson. Hello. Ooh, yeah, there you are. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Uh, hello, hello. Good morning. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Good, good. What a joy to have you in our midst. Thank you for joining wow. us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored.
0: So, where, where are yeah. you today?
1: Right now, I'm in Telluride, Colorado. So I've lived here about 20 years, but I grew up in Seattle, Washington.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we want to go into the larger arc of your life and your pursuits. But before we do that, you know, given that we're all living in very unique times, uh, how has this recent moment, the last year, impacted you, especially given that you're in a sport that is very travel intensive?
1: Well, I've been spending a lot more time in front of my computer than I would normally otherwise. (laughs) uh i have two kids so even today uh they were supposed to both be at school we, we talked about this this morning they're both home um, for reasons of covid getting into the school that just happened yesterday so uh it's in some ways it plays into my strengths of being up for things changing on a daily basis but uh in other ways i i'm a traveler i'm a wanderer i i seek adventure i dream about it and um I've had to figure out how to do that within my backyard versus throughout the globe. And that's, you know, that's a very small problem given what's going on in the, in the larger scheme of things. Um, but it's been a lot of, I've had a lot of time to reflect on my identity and, and how I see myself <laughs> moving forward.
0: Yeah, you know, thank you for sharing that. I think this um, is a period when so many of us are getting that same invitation, I guess, silently yeah. from life to look within and, um, you know, connect at the, you know, minimum just with our own deepest self. Um, and um, you know, thank you for being open to doing this at a time when there's so much of uh, responsibilities that you're taking on with the kids at home. And when when did that spark first come to you that this is a quest you wanted to, yeah, go after?
1: Lotse in particular.
0: Well, let's make it even broader. Yeah. Just uh, this, this quest to climb the world's highest peaks and to merge that mountaineering with also with skiing and, you know, yeah, yeah.
1: Gosh, I mean, I think it probably came when I, I sort of happened upon going on my first expedition in 1999, a long time ago. And I, I just, Got the bug. I started seeing, I, I've, there's kind of like this saying in my line of work, if you will, that, you know, you, you go, you seek out one mountain. And when you come home, you have 20 new ideas to go on, on new expeditions. And so, um, yeah, it's been gosh, probably 20 years ago that I really had that first experience in big mountains and just was just found myself really passionate about it
0: you mentioned about getting the bug i, th- I think that would <laughs> really be a powerful um little phrase for us that you know so many of us could perhaps reflect on you know when have we gotten the bug and have we paid attention to it have we leaned into it have we nurtured it have we invested further have we you know gone beyond just uh, the quick little kind of high and then back to our normal mundane life yeah so, uh, sounds like in your case um there was something that made you pay attention to it and to have yes. the courage to keep going on that path.
1: Yeah, there was. So I think my whole childhood, uh, sports was something that really validated with me, with my, my parents, my father, especially. And so when i ventured out on my own, I did it very intentionally. Most of my family, you know, stayed in Washington state. Generations of my family, cousins, everyone stayed in Washington and I was very intentional about leaving home. So, you know, I didn't go far at first. I went to Colorado and I studied at university there. And then right after I finished university, I moved straight away to Europe and lived in the Alps for five years in France. And it was there that I started going on bigger expeditions. And I think part of it was... A, I had that validation, but B, I was good at it. I'd skied my whole life, but I only discovered the uphill part of it probably when I was 19, 20, 21. And so by the time I was 25 years old and living in Chamonix in France, I I was good at it. And I wanted to see that through to the end. And I didn't quite know the path that would take me down, but it's been, a, it's been a very interesting path, quite a, quite a wild one for sure.
0: Yeah. One of our audience members here is saying, you know, hello from New Hampshire. I saw you in the film at Banff last year and was blown oh. away. Such a role model for all of us.
1: Yes. So the, the, that little clip that you played of Lhotse is part of a, a, a larger film. Like a, it's a, I don't know, 25 minute film. So still sh- on the short end, but, um, and it was at the Banff Film Festival this last fall.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Where can we go to access some of these uh, documentaries?
1: Most of them you can find on the North Face YouTube channel. So you'll find uh, Down to Nothing, which is uh, also another 20 minute film about an expedition in Myanmar from t- 2014. And then the Lhotse one is from 2018. And there's quite a few other films in there that okay. are even shorter. Yep.
0: Okay. Wonderful. I like the fact that some of these are short form uh, sometimes yeah. one, one has a little window of time with the family to sit down and, and you know and have a beautiful shared experience and it's it's good to know that we you know we, we have a library of these to to go after um yeah. so let's let's sort of invite the audience into your world and if we can do that through like what has been for you some of the defining moments in your career so far uh, sometimes on the from the outside we define people on the basis of their most visible you know, and highest uh, accomplishments as we see it from the outside. But I also notice sometimes from the inside, you know, in that individual's journey and pursuit, there are some invisible moments which the world may not otherwise publicly know of, but which really molded them and woke them up to something. So anyway, would you be open to sharing a little bit, you know, of that sort of personal journey of uh, Hilary Nelson with us?
1: I mean, the one, I guess the one journey that stands out the most would be, would be an expedition that I did when I was Quite, quite early on in my whole sort of direction is turning this into a profession. And that was a trip where, it was the first trip I ever organized and led. It was all women, there were four of us, and we went to Western Mongolia to try to climb and ski the five holy peaks. And that borders right up with uh, Russia and China, And we thought, oh gosh, you know, we're going to go, hopefully we'll climb the highest peak in Mongolia and be able to ski it. And if we're really lucky, maybe we'll get two or three of the five peaks. And at the end of our stay, we'd managed to climb and ski all five of the holy peaks. And we were the first people to ever Male or female to ski any of them. We did basically all new routes up them. And, uh, it just, it's a story that nobody knows. It was never published anywhere. We have very few photos of it. Uh, we didn't have satellite phones. We had no communications and we just really like dug deep and pushed through all kinds of adversity and had great success. And I think that trip, especially more than any other trip really just gave me this mental and physical foundation of strength that I was able to draw from throughout plenty of other adversity moving forward on expeditions and in life in general.
0: Well, that's beautiful. Is there any story that stands out, you know, from that time or memory that stands out that uh, you can share?
1: Yeah. So after we had finished the fourth peak, and we were kind of running out of time, we were completely out of food. And I remember sitting in the tent and uh, myself and another girl, we were like, "All right, everybody." You know, I mean, there's four of us, but all right, let's empty your pockets, go through every pocket, let's put all the food we have in the middle of the tent, and and see if we can actually like scrounge up enough like little candies or a top or a, or like a hot ramen soup or something so that we can go for this fifth and final peak. And we uh, like emptied every pocket, threw everything in the middle, divvied it out equally, and. We were like, all right, let's do it. And the next morning we set out and it was an 18-hour day and we summited and skied. And on the way out, we were like, all right, well, how much food do we have left? And we all looked in our pockets and none of us had eaten anything. We'd saved, it's kind of this like survivor mentality that we all were hoarding what we had so that in case something happened, we'd have that food. And I've experienced that on subsequent trips, but it was, it was just kind of, it was just wild. So we just did this whole last peak basically on on zero calories and we had it in our pockets. And I don't know, it just it just spoke to the team I had. Like we were just so in tune with each other and how passionate we were about just being adventurous would be the best word. Not not success so much, but more just adventurous and and seeking our full potential. Uh it, it was amazing. So that yeah. that was probably my best story from that trip.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. You mentioned how much you got along with each other. I imagine that must be so critical to any of these expeditions, the chemistry, the attunement, the connection that you have with your partners in these enterprises and, yeah. and perhaps the opposite too, which is when when those relationships are not like in a good place, then I mean h- how does that impact your sense of fulfillment and, you know, capacity to really operate at your full potential?
1: Well, I think Having a team that works together means that at the end of the day, whether we were successful with our our real goal or not, I can come home and still feel this like fullness, this satisfaction, this accomplishment. Um, and when you turn that around, even if if you have a team that that doesn't mesh, well, a it's not. I feel like it's a lot more dangerous. And b I come home feeling defeated regardless of the success or failure of the expedition. So I think, it, I think that the lesson from that is that a lot of that feeling of success is keeping a cohesive team that works together. And, you know, obviously different expeditions require different sizes of teams um, early on. I, like I said, I, I, did a lot of all women's expeditions and in bigger groups and you know now like Lotse it was really just my my life partner, Jim Morrison and myself and we envisioned this thing and planned it together. Yeah, I mean, another story from that Mongolia expedition was that one of the girls, we'd almost reached the summit and we unroped because there are a lot of crevasses from glaciers around, but we thought we were above all of them. And one of the girls, she took two steps away from where we'd stopped to have snacks and she opened up a massive hole in a crevasse and she fell in it, but she had skis on her back and they threw her forward and she was able to throw her axes into the other side. And it was, you know, if she'd gone in, would have definitely resulted in death. And so we worked together to pull her out. And what really stuck out to me from that trip was that we spent two days discussing that poor choice that we made up there and how we subsequently were able to rectify it. And it wasn't until we talked through it that we were able to continue on with the fourth and fifth peaks. Um, and it just made us stronger. We obviously were very lucky. Those wrist slaps when you were able to walk away from them are, are very important learning moments. Um, but that, that's the foundation of a good team to me is recognizing mistakes, talking through it and moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm hearing a few things there, uh, which I think can be broadly of value to any or all of us in our own pursuits, whether they're in the arena of mountaineering and skiing or or beyond. Uh, one is just that that value of teamsmanship and uh, you know the the power of uh, one plus one being much more than two.
1: Yes. Um, yes.
0: And, and you you talked about it. What did you say in the beginning? I I kind of haven't captured the phrase, but something about how there's some some kind of almost like a sense of expansion or something, you know, of of your consciousness into more of a collective rather than an individual, if I could, you know, get that?
1: Yes, for sure. Especially like if you go into the climbs I've done of late with my partner, Jim, like you, you get to this level of functioning together where it's, it's outside of what you just said. It's outside of one plus one makes two. You are we can work together without even verbally communicating a lot of times. Um, it's more body language. It's reading expressions to understand like where our risk-taking acceptance is, our fear level, et cetera. And um, I mean, it's one of the reasons, that that's truly one of the reasons why I love these expeditions and these big objectives so much is because of that human dynamic. Um, that partnership that's formed, and it's it's very intense. It can be very intense, bad too. So there are there are two sides to every coin. Um, but the good intent is pretty incredible.
0: Wonderful. I, I also hear you in that episode. You you mentioned you know the two days that you took to analyze it. You know as a group. Yeah. As to what we did wrong. There's something you know that I've I've been studying about. You know those who pursue expert kind of mastery over a certain discipline and how they just keep growing and growing so they may attain a certain level of accomplishment but they're always then looking at you know ways to adapt further to new conditions and to every nth new variable you know in a situation that they may not have in the past been sort of as as focused on someone in music for example might be wanting to master you know Beethoven's moonlight sonata but if they're really an expert they'll actually go into the concert hall where they're going to present tomorrow and spend some time in the concert hall and actually play the piano there and just sense the acoustics in the room and the particular instrument they're playing to see if they need to vary a little bit, you know, their right. picture and you know, all of that. So I'm, I'm hearing that same sort of uh, idea play out in what you just shared, which is, you know, to look at even the smallest little bit of wrinkles in one's game in the context one is thrust into and always be ready to iron this out because you just never know which small wrinkle can you know take you away from perfection.
1: Yes. I mean, I think that's with any profession. Obviously, what I do has a level of life or death to some of that decision making. But I feel like at 48 years old, you know, I'm, it's um, ironic, I guess, that I'm still a professional athlete at, at 48. But I feel like in what I do, there is so much history that goes into making those decisions. So much experience that builds up over time that I'm still just learning how to push that envelope and how to get better and be better, be a better partner, be a better climber, etc. And, you know, w- within that, I have noticed that on some of these trips, it's like, it's almost like this intense ability to be present. And within that presence, it's almost like slowing time where I can really see those wrinkles that you're talking about. I can read a snowflake. I can read a change in aspect of subtle change in aspect. Um, it doesn't make me bulletproof, but it does make, it fascinates me. I don't, I don't know, it, it, you know, to, to be in that moment is, is very rare. And it's, yeah, it's fascinating. I don't know another word to describe it, but that just comes from like that 10,000 hour rule. If you do something enough, you become, a, you, you get this ability to really hone in on the time and the, the, your, your own particular vision of what you're seeing. Does that make sense? It's...
0: That's, that's beautiful. You're reminding me of a quote from um, Einstein. You know, he, he once said, he said, uh, there are two kinds of people in the world. For those who for whom nothing is, you know, a miracle, and for those whom for whom everything is a miracle, yeah. Uh, and you have developed the capacity to feel that sense of, you know, miraculousness and awe, right, from these aspects of nature that many of us might just glance at and leave behind. And yeah. that, that is beautiful. Uh, Lisa is um, is observing that it sounds like a spiritual experience. Um, is it something you know that has brought you a bigger understanding of the ineffable?
1: Uh, Yes. um, Especially with high altitude climbing, because time externally and internally changes. I I would never say that I am. I, um, I have said for many years that I'm not a spiritual person. I don't particularly believe in god if you will but that has changed for me over time and high altitude and that that effort that you're putting in and that added suffering it's like it's a very spiritual experience uh and it is very much a reason why i why i go back to high altitude especially because i feel like the world becomes very thin and i can almost reach through it and experience something that i don't experience anywhere else um Uh, again that's you know quite a lot to to that to to answer that question the short answer is very much yes
0: (laughs) yeah well it's it's really important you know something that you've just said here which is you're not really a spiritual person You, you you don't believe in god and or you haven't, and that's changing. And then there's this piece that you're starting to observe that there's there's something beyond, you know, what it makes the human yeah. eye, right? Isn't it? And I just want to maybe just use that as a way to just encourage us to think about spirituality in terms that um, perhaps are a little bit broader than the more maybe traditional lens that religion at times provides us, right? And some of yeah. us have had positive and some of us have had not so positive experiences, perhaps with, uh, you know, a church or a path or a religion or a tradition or, uh, you know, something that maybe at times... Has been perhaps imposed, you know, as we've grown up or something. Who knows, right? And um, right. And, and here it is. We're living through a time when a lot of uh, folks are, on the one hand, wanting to choose their own destiny, wanting to actually affirm their own beliefs. But in doing so, while they may be moving away from some of those traditional pursuits of certain, you know, kind of practices or right. you know, church dictated, you know, norms they're actually rediscovering in some ways from within a certain sense of awe and mystery and an ineffable kind of uh, set of feelings that and experiences that they're going through from within. And maybe that's, that's a whole new way of pursuing spirituality in one's life.
1: Yes, and I think even if you approach spirituality with that attitude, whether you necessarily believe in one entity over another, it, it helps you be open-minded to other people's beliefs. And especially today, I think that is incredibly important. For me, a lot of it comes from nature, mother nature. Like I've seen things that you know, just, just really can't be explained or feelings, thoughts. Like it goes back to that sense of awe, that sense of seeing a miracle and everything. And most definitely I went through a phase in my life where I didn't see that, you know, things were a bit darker. I was maybe going on expeditions, not for the right reasons, but as a way to escape, but I've come full circle in that. And now I, I go back now I go into the mountains and I just, gosh, every, every day is different. Every, um, you know, you can climb the same mountain a hundred times, and every single time it's going to be different. And to me, that's just a miracle. It's an incredible way to take care of oneself. Um, you know, especially in these times where perhaps you can't go far from your home. It's great to just go outside for ten minutes. Go outside in the pouring rain, or when it's sleeting, and bundle up. And what does that feel like versus the the warm sun? And yeah, I don't know. All all of those experiences are think. Whether it's ten minutes or ten weeks, like some of my trips, um, it just—it just, it just kind of gives you a chance to get out of your own way. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well. I am so hungry to want to be able to walk in your shoes, and I wonder <laughs> if you could, um, you know, give me and our audience here the gift of a few more stories of some of those moments that uh, have lived on for you. Maybe, maybe moments that have just made you look back and laugh, you know, at something silly, or you know, perhaps a, a just a breakthrough of some kind that was achieved, or a you know, a, a setback that was overcome, or you know, um, yeah. We just I, I just wanted stimulate in your mind this moment memories from the past that uh, you can recount for us
1: uh one comes from Uh, an expedition that I went on in Pakistan to Gashabram 2. And it was the the first trip I'd done after having my first child. And I was, you know, it was very, it was really hard to to be away. I was so stressed out that I had um, lost, I don't know, 15 pounds off of my already fairly slim size. And so trying to climb an 8,000 meter peak when you don't have any fat, your stress is not good. And I just remember the the cook that we had with us, he took pity on me and he gave me this two pound can of butter that um, I carried with me. We, did, we ultimately weren't successful, but we made it quite high, 7,500 meters. And I took this can of butter, tin of butter, all basically all the way to the top with me as far as high as we made it. And I would just eat it by the spoonful I'd put it in my coffee in the morning. I just, all I needed was fat and it was pretty gross, but it was, um, sort of a a good example of doing what you have to do to, to survive. (laughs) You know, fortunately I can still eat butter. I still like butter. It didn't, it didn't turn me off of butter forever, but, um, that's one example, um, I, there, there's another trip in, in Burma that I did in 2014, again, where we ran out of food. All my stories seem to have to do with food, apparently. But uh, we ran out of food. And this is just an example. You know, we were walking through an incredibly impoverished area um, in the northern mountains of Myanmar. So all, all the villages were really small. Um, they had pigs. They had corn. Um, very little food, and I just remember you know coming back down into these villages that we passed on our way up and 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 just these people offering us everything they had um, and being completely humbled by that experience and we did our very best not to take anything we knew we were on our way out and we'd survive off of a couple bowls of rice and be okay the the offering was there and it was it was just it's just incredible the the kindness that's out there.
0: Yeah, that's uh, such a sweet story. Such a sweet story. Uh, you've uh, in our conversations uh, before mentioned how you have felt so heart by just discovering you know some of these local communities who are walking such a different path in terms of how they live versus what we are used to here in the west uh, since you've traveled to so many of the developing nations as well uh, can, can you just talk uh, for a moment and just share some of your just yeah you know the, the things that surprised you about experiencing you know local communities
1: yeah um one experience, I guess, would be on Papsura. It's called the Peak of Evil, um, which was in the eastern, northeastern part of India, the Himachal Pradesh state. And it's the, the peak we climbed and skied in 2017. And that was where I got the Adventure of the Year award from National Geographic. And my experience there, this was my fifth trip there. I'd never summited a peak in India until this trip. So I'd, I'd had a lot of Times where I've turned around, uh, and on this particular trip, we had probably fifteen porters coming from the local villages that were helping us get our stuff up to base camp. And once we got to our base camp, these these guys, they, this was their backyard, but they they'd never been up to this particular part of the glacier. And oh my gosh, their smiles, their joy, and their their excitement to be a part of this trip was overwhelming. And they they wanted to continue to help us. And so they ended up climbing all the way up to 16,000 feet to our, our second high camp. They'd never seen anybody ski before. So we were kind of skiing down and trying to explain what it was like and all the equipment. And, you know, these are people that that lived in the villages just not far below. And, Gosh, like they're just their uh, their excitement just was infectious. You know, we we were having so much fun with them, and we didn't speak the same language. It was it was all just through like high fives and touching different pieces of equipment and showing them stuff and backpacks. And uh, it was I I don't know that was one of the cooler experiences I've had with, um, sort of that, that local population and how, that that lives at the base of these mountains, but often doesn't get to explore those peaks.
0: Yeah. I love the story of the human connection. Yeah, even without much in common, including a different language you speak, and then the connection being catalyzed by a connection with nature, you know, that, yeah. that is around you as well. You know, how, how beautiful. Uh, Michael is asking a thought provoking question, which I'm sure you have spent much time thinking through saying hello from Switzerland. How do you reconcile the high level of risk with your family? And how do you know when to stop pushing, you know, because uh, we, we've, you know, had some painful stories of people who've um, pushed a little bit too far, right?
1: Yes. And, and I, I did know Uli Steck, and, you know, it's hard not to admire and respect his skill set. I always, personally, I, one thing, and I don't know if it's just rationalizing my decisions, but I don't ever solo anything. Um, I always am with a partner. That's not to say I haven't, you know, chosen to solo sections of a mountain with a partner, but we're not tied in, um, which, you know, still leaves you kind of at the same the same risk. But um, I also like to only climb things that I can ski down. So that inherently takes that verticality from here to, you know, from 90 degrees to overhanging to like something that you can ski down. So you're looking at like 45, 50 degrees. Um, In the case of pop maybe it was 55 degrees, but you don't really get much steeper than that. Um, Yeah, I, my kids are older now. They're 11 and 13. So I talk to them a lot about some of these trips. I've taken them with me I, I'm afraid to say too much about how I rationalize it because then it sounds like um, I'm getting in, like I said before, I'm not bulletproof. Um, I had an experience when my my second son was seven months and my my oldest son was just two years and I went back to work as a helicopter ski guide and on that first day, I had a a really tragic accident with a client where she fell backwards. She wasn't even skiing. She just fell backwards into this really shallow river and her head got stuck with her helmet underneath this undercut bedrock. And, um, in under a minute she drowned and I wasn't able to save her. And that greatly affected a lot of my decision-making moving forward in that, you know, it affected my spiritual beliefs. It affected, uh, some of that risk that you're talking about in terms of my my kids and that I feel like death is everywhere. And it's not something we do a very good job of talking about in the United States. I think other countries handle it much better than we do. So I try to talk to my kids about it. And I hope that I don't, you know, the last thing I want to do is die on any of these expeditions. But I do feel like it happens and it happens randomly. And it happens sadly, tragically. Um, it happens when you're 95 years old, when you're supposed to pass away. So I think discussing it is a a big part of how I handle the decisions I've made with my kids.
0: Well, that's really... That was a
1: lot of information. Sorry.
0: No, that's really powerful. I I don't know. Henry, you you are probably not aware of this, but um, one of the previous episodes of Intersections was what death can teach us. And um, the reason for that was because I very much hold the same conviction as uh, you arrived at which is that it is such a kind of living everyday possibility around us you know when death comes knocking on anyone's door us or our loved ones that to ignore it hoping that it will ignore us is Hmm. not uh, a a very smart way of thinking about it (laughs) you know and my question part on on this on this front on kind of harmonizing one's relationship with this uh inevitable ultimate sort of final moments and you know whatever it is that you know lies on the other side has been to to look for then the opportunities in that you know to look for how is it that it can make even more sanctified and more rich and more purposeful the moments that i you know that i do live you know has that been you know part of like the impact that perhaps a moment like that might have had on your children or on you or
1: Yes, it took me a while to get to that point of understanding and acceptance, but yes, very much so. Um, I kind of define it as saying saying yes, being a yes person um, in terms of going down a path of opportunity or trying something different or pushing into something that scares me. saying yes to that means i'm I'm living i'm I'm still open to learning that being a risk taker is. Very closely tied to taking advantage of every day for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that definitely has come from that from that accident.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing something that must have been so challenging and yet so defining for you uh, with us. Yeah. We're grateful. Um, by the way, we, we you know I, I think there's a very very sweet uh, set of comments we're getting here from some of our friends in the audience. I'm just going to pick uh, one or two to you know help you get a sense of what's kind of resonating with them. So Anuradha is talking about how you know you've talked a lot about team spirit and it is so meaningful at a time when we as a world family you know are yeah. going through what we are and you know this team spirit is so needed today you know to make us a strong global team i really appreciate that and, and rather the idea that um, it's not just when you're mountaineering or skiing uh, or each of us in our own teams at work or beyond but it's we we are a team you know as humanity yeah. And what could be a better evidence of that than whoever knows where this coronavirus came from? But don't we have to be so much more aligned, harmonized, coordinated, cooperative, supportive to live through this moment, not just uh, cloistered in our own little homes, but actually collectively in doing the things we have to, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's been quite an experience seeing. uh, I mean, I, I think this is a fairly unique in that it's such a it's a world global pandemic that we're all having to find a silver lining to find a way to still find connections with people find a way to be positive find a way to get our kids through this to get our you know aging parents through it um yeah, it's. I will say that a lot of these sort of expedition experiences I've had, these these teamwork things, have have helped me over the last ten months. You know, sort of figure out how to be quarantined in my house with the kids and and have patience and compassion and empathy and I just all of those things are. You know, it's been a wild year.
0: Yeah. So I, I hear you say though that 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 journey that you've been on has helped you in these last ten months: patience, compassion, empathy. So. If I hear you correct, you're saying that there were certain strengths you developed or certain experiences that that are actually being put to good use in a, another arena right now, which right. Is, you know which is right here, right? And I mean, maybe that's just a good lesson for all of us to take from this because i'm I'm always looking out for these ways for us to gain inspiration and learn from uh, your life, Hillary and others that we bring onto the show. and maybe one simple thing that you're saying here is guys, look back at what you've been doing. Over the last couple yeah. years, you you've been you've been pursuing some part of your own passions, and there are probably things there that you've done and honed and strengthened in yourself, and and those can be put to good use, you know, in, in a time like this, even though it's a very different arena, right?
1: Right, right. I mean, I, I guess uh, one specific example for me that is. And we talked about a little bit about this before, but it's sort of this technique that I use when I'm, when I'm climbing something and I I start getting like too afraid and that, that fear turns into panic. And I know I've developed this over, you know, 40 expeditions that the way to calm myself down is to, to change what I'm looking at, to, to step away from the exposure, literally when I'm on an expedition, a little more metaphorically when I'm home with my kids and they're driving me crazy or something, um, was to step away from that exposure, take a few minutes to visualize something different and breathe through it. And that typically pushes that fear ball back down and makes it more manageable. And I've used that a hundred times over the last ten months to just take a take a second to just walk away from something, whether it's um, you know more work that I was supposed to do being canceled, and I'm I'm worried about X, Y, and Z because of that, or kids getting sick. Well, you know whatever it is, um, I feel that impatience welling up, and I want to explode and scream. And I'm like, okay, just step outside, step out onto the front porch, look at the you know, look up in the mountain. I'm lucky I have this great view of the mountains from my house. So <laughs> look at the mountains, take a few deep breaths and then re-engage. Um, so that's a very specific like actual technique. And it's helped me a lot. <laughs> it's helped me a lot over the, the last few months.
0: It's a beautiful gift to give us. Beautiful <laughs> gift to give us. Uh, it's as though there are these like two versions of us, the more sort of centered, the more hype high performance core that we have and then there's this uh disturbed agitated upset uh you know kind of like version of us and and to have that awareness to know when you move from one to the other and then to have the capacity to make a small intervention which you've Mm. given us so practically just step back and take a few deep breaths and turn your attention away from that yeah suddenly you can bring much more wisdom and grace and strength back to that battle
1: yes grace is a very good word yes and and it's amazing what 30 seconds can do and stepping away from a situation that's starting to turn into that frustrated impatient not graceful situation is is really beneficial to everyone I think.
0: Yeah. I love that phrase. It's amazing what 30 seconds can do. Uh, that's yeah. going to be my key takeaway from, uh, from our conversation today. And, <laughs> and uh, so let's do this before I move on to another topic, which I'm really intrigued about. I'm sure many of us here are going to be uh, drawn to it as well, um, which is your role in this sphere of human pursuit as, as a woman. You know, it's not lost on me that the arena that you've you know, been um, invested in, even while you mentioned, for example, some of these uh, pursuits that you've done with uh, you know, with with you as part of a five women crew, uh, in general, you know, historically has been a very male-dominated pursuit. Um, And so... What has it been like for you to come into this with that identity, you know, as as a woman and and have has it been a very salient part of uh, how you've seen yourself or how others have received you and seen you? And if so, has it posed any kind of you know, complexities or impediments uh, as some have experienced in other other pursuits? As well?
1: um, I mean, yes, to all of those things, I guess uh, there's been a lot of opportunity for me because I am a woman in this profession. In that early on, you know, this is 1999, 2000, 2001, when I was really getting started, I was invited on a lot of expeditions, I think, primarily because I was a female. And a lot of team sponsors at that point were really looking to have you know, that one woman, uh, on a trip because it added to the story, it added this, it added whatever. Uh, and it's ironic that, you know, of course those, those beginning years, I had the least experience Um, I have so much more experience now. Uh, but, um, it got me started. It gave me, you know, that sort of platform to sink my fingernails into and, and hang on. Um, I, have had incredible male counterparts that have taken time to, who've had more experience than me and have taken time to really teach me things and really see me as a potential, seeing the potential that I had, not not the potential that I had as a woman, but the potential that I had as a person vesting this effort into climbing. I have had the opposite where I've seen, you know, the less fun side of being the only woman on a trip. And sometimes that culminates in, you know, sleeping in my own tent or making sure there was another woman on the trip so that I could have that security of a tent partner (laughs) that I didn't have to deal with in other ways. Um, I'm leaving that sort of vague, sorry. (laughs) But, and what I have noticed moving forward and going through and having kids and having my sponsors stick with me after kids is that, You know, now we're getting to a point where my main sponsors are no longer writing pregnancy into an athlete contract as an injury. Now it's, if you are pregnant, we are going to give you a contract for a year to figure out if you want to move forward with this or not. That is a massive change. And that's, you know, that's just happened in the last five or six years. So right now on the North Face athlete team, for example, there, I think are six of us from from professional rock climbers to professional endurance runners to ski mountaineers. And we all have kids. I mean, that's unheard of 15 years ago. So at least in this little micro world that I'm in, it is changing. I think, um, women especially are now looking at things as like oh there's not room there's there's more than room for just one of us on top and i think this applies to business as well and that's where the mentorship starts coming in is that you know you use if you were the woman on top you weren't willing to mentor the women below you because there's only room for one of us but i think that's changing and and we're we're able to reach out and like bring more of us up and create a platform in which People I don't think will look at my accomplishments and be like, she was the first female to do that. It's going to be more like she's the first person to accomplish this. And I think that's what we're, I mean, it's sort of ironic. We're looking for getting rid of that female sort of disclaimer and yeah, just moving forward with, Confidence with grace, with the skill set to embrace being female and bringing what that means into a group dynamic, and having a lot of us there.
0: That is so inspiring. That is so, there are so many dimensions to your story that I think we could pick and uh, analyze. And uh, that that dimension itself of just the you know the gender uh, you know stereotypes and limits of the past that you're you know charging forward and you know blazing through and. <laughs> And destroying is, is so is so beautiful to see. I'm, oh, you know, we've talked here in part about your quest for like getting to be a lifelong learner and advancing to your full potential, and at every stage just learning more. And I'm also wondering if you know that same dynamic applied then to humanity at large as well, and society at large as well. That we have so many of these like limitations in our mind, about what we think we can achieve collectively as a group or as a demographic or as society, and and uh, and in part, what you're doing here is actually opening us up to the realization that like some of these are just like inner limits not outer limits
1: yeah i think that's where at least i like to think i've gotten in terms of some of these more audacious goals in the mountains is that i i really like to get to this place where i've reached my physical limit and so i I, the only way i can like continue forward or push through it is drawing on something outside of physicality and that's um really just mental strength and, and what that, what my mindset can do, like, how can I push myself to focus? How can I push myself through, through this physical adversity to um, not necessarily be successful in standing on top of the mountain, but to, to come home in one piece, to put in the effort that stays with me and fills me up. <laughs> I don't like to use the word happiness, but gives me that sense of accomplishment, that sense of meaning, I guess. That nice. comes to, for me more from when I have to push through when my, my physical body is tapped.
0: <laughs> yeah. Henry, there are such a world of lessons that uh, our friends are taking away from this conversation, just as much as I am. I'm just going to give a sample of a couple of these, Absolutely. you know, for you. Uh, here, shridjit talking about thank you for such an inspiring talk. Um, you know, would you share most uh, difficult moment in mountaineering and what lesson you took from it and from life? Let, let's come back and see if we can have a moment to answer that. NASA just talked about how much he's just really enjoyed uh, the great support for women, you know, that is coming through in this. Uh, Bjorn talked about how relieved he is to hear that. You can get scared and close to being in panic at times and still be the incredibly high achiever that you are. It's important to be able to keep a clear mind in those very difficult, uh, difficult situations. And um, yeah, um, we have Cheryl talking about that thrill of being adventurous and seeking our full potential. Perfect. with a team that meshes, uh, th- seeing this as part of a part of a team as well. I mean, there's just so many beautiful expressions here from all of you folks. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing with us uh, all, all these learnings you're taking away. And Hillary. before we wrap up, though, I know we are kind of getting close to time. Before we wrap up, there is one other learning that I would love to have, which I've received and I've been very inspired by, which I'd love yeah. for you to be able to transmit to our friends as well. And that goes back to the roots. That goes back to your formative years. And some experience that you went through that uh, made you even just that much more deeply invested in really kind of leaning into the world at large, traveling, gaining new experiences. Can you talk a little bit about that sort of formative period and how you used this pursuit that you're on as a way to overcome and ultimately transcend? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that, I think... A lot of those formative years, you know, growing up, I had an older brother and sister. I I mentioned how sports was sort of that validation that I got from my parents. I didn't travel very much as a kid. So... I imagined it more than anything. And my dad, especially, we were, we were very much um, spent more of our time on the water than in the mountains. So we would go out on this boat that we had for, for weeks on end. And we'd go all the way up into the inside passage in Canada. And it was very, to me, very adventurous and lots of wilderness and bears on the beach and, you know, bald eagles. And um, I think that's where that sort of wild side kicked in for me. Um, also growing up, you know, all families, all families are complicated, of course. Um, within my family, my, my, my father, especially, he kind of lived on this roller coaster of depression. And at that time, it was quite before people were talking about it or knowing how to deal with it. And, I just remember it very much affecting how I grew up. You know, it always happened over like a, a three month period where there'd be highs and then it would slowly go down to a low and then I come back up. And I think a lot of my motivation actually comes from that because I really convinced myself as a kid that it was sports and it was nature that would keep me from being affected by depression in my life. It seems like a very kid thing to think, but, um, as I as I grew up and moved forward, I every time I felt sad or I felt like I felt depressed or felt um, like there was some huge hurdle in front of me or something I couldn't get through, I would go outside. I'd go for a run. I had this mantra that I if I went three days without exercise that was like the end of the world. I was all of a sudden gonna be like hospitalized for depression. So I just, I I took it to an extreme as you can see with what I do now, but that very much was the motivation. And I think, well, maybe it was not correctly thought out on my part, it has given me a lot of tools in life. You know, I don't think I struggle with clinical depression like my father did. I think I um, have a, have a different makeup in that regard. But at the same time, life is hard and we have so many hurdles to come over or to overcome. And so to be able to have some tools to deal with that, that is what I take from those formative years growing up is that, you know, however I came about it, I have it now. And I know that through nature, through, this sounds really simplistic, but just through getting my heart rate up, whether it's for 10 minutes or for six hours, well, it just really helps straighten, straighten me out and give me perspective on you know what really, what's really, is that really that big of a deal? Is that really that bad? Let's go outside and get a little perspective. <laughs>
0: You know, I am so grateful that you've shared that story. Um, one of the guests we've had on the show is David Burns, who is a preeminent uh, psychotherapist and a pioneer in cognitive behavior therapy. And one of the things I've learned from from him over the years is um, that many of these mental states, you know, can be can be viewed as as states rather than traits, you know, rather than this right. lasting, permanent, you know, aspects of who we are. Things that we drift in and out of and some some of us perhaps spend more time in them than others or you know go deeper or you know etc but there are tools available to us and uh, in your case it appears that you have just basically self-architected your own sort of tools yeah. to help you get to the other side of this and while that may be shifting and transforming you from within to move away from, let's say, a depressive state in a certain moment, I mean, it's just led to incredible adventure and incredible yeah. contributions and inspiration, both for yourself and and for the world at large. And and that you know has to be so exhilarating, I think, for all of us here. That you know, you think about like some of the things we struggle with the most from within. Maybe right. within those lies the seed of transformation. Maybe yeah. within those lies the seed of a hero's journey. Right? Isn't right. that in a sense what your life represents to us?
1: Yeah. Um, I think there's a good quote and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to trash it, of course. But um, what is and I forget who said it, but the only thing that you can control in your life is your attitude. Yeah. And I like that. I I mean, that's what I try to teach my kids, you know, when my son wakes up and he's just in the worst mood and he just wants to go play with his friends and he can't because everybody's, you know, uh, not allowed to do that right now. And I'm like, it's just your attitude. It's a choice when you wake up in the morning and I'm not perfect at it. I have plenty of days where I am just, I should just not, not have gotten out of bed, but it really, if you can have that mindset and it's a state, not a trait. I, I've never heard that. And I really, I really, that's going to be my takeaway from this call.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Well, you're the one who's living the truth, <laughs> you know. I'll try. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> passing it on to you. Hillary. this has been such a joy, such a joy. And I'm so glad that uh, we don't have to have this moment with you, just end, you know, in the present uh, moment because you pointed us to the North Face and how there are assets available there that uh, bring us even closer to... Re- experiencing with you, you know, the kinds yeah. of times and adventures that you've been pursuing. And uh, what's the next big project that we as a world will be able to see? I noticed you told me that you were in another very special part of the world recently. Maybe we can just end with that that last little update from you. Where were you recently and what might emerge from it that all of us could look forward to?
1: Well, the, mo- the last uh, real expedition I got to go on was in Antarctica and that was in January of 2020. And it was, well, I feel so fortunate to have kind of snuck that in because I have uh wanted to go there oh my gosh for so long I've always been uh just really in awe of that entire continent so um to being uh, to to have been able to go and experience that place and the storms and the cold and the wind and uh, it was just really a, a beautiful it's just really an incredible place I feel very fortunate to have been there
0: Yes, and uh, are you going to be able to see that in a future film?
1: Um, I don't know if we're making a film about it, but there have been a lot of uh, uh, photos and things. I was there with uh, Jimmy Chin, who... If you don't know of him, he, he also works with North Face, but he also, you know, won an Oscar for Best Documentary two years ago for his film with Alex Honnold, uh, Free Solo. And he's an incredible photographer. So there's some imagery from that trip that's really great. And you can find that on, on the North Face's Instagram or on my Instagram, also on Jimmy's Instagram. Um, and hopefully, like, I'm really excited to go back to the Arctic and this speaks to protect our winters. So we're hoping to go in April to go back up to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and um, do some more exploring of the Brooks Range and sort of the plateau up there. And hopefully that will end up being a film.
0: Wonderful. That is a topic we didn't really get a chance to get right, into, okay. into the confines of the time we had, yeah. preservation environment. But maybe, Hilary, that gives us an excuse to want to invite you back at some point yeah. later yeah. in the year. After you yeah, perhaps happened.
1: after that trip. That <laughs> would be great. Okay. And plus, by then, we'll see kind of where the where the policy is going to go in terms yeah. of protecting the Arctic up there. Yes,
0: yes, the yes, yes. With the shift in the administration, yeah. Yes, okay. yes cool cool awesome yeah thank you so much thank it you Andrew. that was such great a joy such a joy thank you thank and you. thank you for the life you live you know it is, uh, yeah so inspiring yeah, thanks for
1: sharing all these stories they I've, I've, I've waded through a few of them and they're pretty amazing so thank yeah. you
0: yeah awesome awesome all the best to you wishing you well in this year ahead Henry. take care i know i speak on behalf of all of us here in the audience as well so yeah cool. thank you all right on that note thank you godspeed